Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to be in three areas of Scripture tonight, Haggai chapter 2. So if you go to Zechariah, you'll be in the right place. Uh, Haggai chapter 2, Zechariah chapter 7, and Mark's gospel chapter 12. Once again, Haggai chapter 2, and Zechariah chapter 7, Mark chapter 12. Now as you're turning there, I asked a question on Sunday, wondering... How many of you have now finished Christmas shopping? Do we have more hands? Oh, good. We've got a few more hands than we did on Sunday. But Thursday night, you're like the faithful crew, so I'm not surprised. Probably everyone that raised their hand on three services are here tonight. So it might just be a repeat of Sunday. Uh, Once again, we're going to be in Haggai 2, Zechariah chapter 7, Mark's Gospel chapter 12. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time to prepare our hearts. Father, I am so thankful for those that have gathered tonight, so grateful for the study of your word. And Lord, as we dig deep into Zechariah, would you give us an insight and an understanding? I pray that our hearts would be filled because all the promises of God are yes and amen. And whatever promise that you've given us in your word, we can trust it will come to pass. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God had challenged the returning exiles through the prophet Haggai to do the work that he called them to do. And if you remember what that work was, it was to build the temple. If you remember... 16 years had gone by, they had started, and then with fear and excuses, they decided to let 16 years pass before they continued the building of the temple. And so God tried to get their attention. They planted, but there was no harvest, Haggai tells us in chapter 1. They ate, but they were not satisfied. They drank, but they were still thirsty. They put clothes on, but they still couldn't keep warm. And he even says in Haggai chapter 1, they received wages, but it was as if it disappeared through holes in their pockets. God was doing everything he could to let them know over the course of that 16 years, you're not doing what I've asked you to do. He withheld his blessing because they withheld their service. It was a rough time. Well, Haggai was the preacher, but Zechariah, he was the encourager. and He comes along the scene to encourage them to do what God had called them to do. And if you remember, we studied that in one night, he received eight encouraging visions. Well, now we find ourselves in Zechariah chapter 7, in Zechariah chapter 8. It's the next section of the book of Zechariah. And if you'll take a look right there in the very first verse, Zechariah chapter 7, now in the fourth year of King Darius. Stop there if you would. 
If you remember, it was the second year that Zechariah received the eight visions of night. Now, it's two years later, and the people are still building the temple. In fact, you can write it in your notes, but it's found in Ezra chapter 6, verse 15, that it was in the sixth year of Darius. So two years later, we're in the fourth year. They're halfway through. In the sixth year, they actually finished building the temple. So they're at the halfway point. The halfway point is oftentimes difficult. Have you ever run a marathon and gotten to mile 13 and you just want to quit? Well, I understand that. Mile 13 and 14, they are rough because you know you've got 13 more miles to go and you're already spent. And so they're wondering, God, do you see what we're doing? Do you see what's going on? Are you actually going to be able to accomplish your plan? You see, God said in the night visions of Zechariah that he was going to remake the nation. There's only 45,000 of us. Will anyone else come back? Will the streets ever be full again? The temple work, it's long, and the temple work is hard. And they're becoming discouraged again. I mean, if the temple is taking this long to build, how long will it take to rebuild uh, Israel? Zechariah, were you sure God's going to rebuild? This seems absolutely impossible. In fact, people are remembering what Israel used to be. And they're getting a little discouraged. Well, I remember when. Well, this looks nothing like. In fact, Israel looks like a ghetto. It looks like a pile of rubbles. How long will it be till these visions come to pass, Zechariah? They're still surrounded by enemies. And some of them are thinking to themselves, we're going to do all this work, and then the enemy's going to come in just like the Babylonian king did and wipe it all away. I mean, what's the point? They're going to invade anyway. But they made one decision. They continued to build. And in Haggai chapter 2, go there with me if you would, just back a couple of pages. Haggai chapter 2, let's pick it up there in verse 18. God says this in Haggai chapter 2. Consider this, now this, verse 18. From this day forward, so from the time they started building the temple, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit. But from this day, I will bless you. God had promised to bless them. They're halfway through wondering, when is the blessing going to kick in? They're beginning to waver. They're beginning to come, become weary. How many of you have ever been like this in your faith? You've been serving kid life ministry for 15 years, and you just don't think, can I go to one more Thursday night Bible study? I've been at this church for 30 years. Uh, how many have ever been there in your faith? Go ahead, raise your hand. You've, you've, it's like, can I do this one more? It's like, can I go to work and stand as a Christian one more day? Anyone ever been there in their faith? Anyone willing to be honest and just raise your hand and say, yeah, sometimes I'm willing to throw in the towel. Like Christianity in our world today can be a challenge. Zachariah understands this. And God does. And he's got a message to the children of Israel for this very condition. 
Take a look at Zechariah chapter 7. We're going to pick it up there in verse 1. Zechariah chapter 7, chapter 7, we'll pick it up in verse 1. Now in the fourth year of King Darius, so we're two years into when they started rebuilding, it came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month of Chislev, when the people sent Sherezer with Rezimelech, and his men to the house of God to pray before the Lord and to ask the priest who were in the house of the Lord of hosts and of the prophets, saying, Should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? Weeping and fasting in the Old Testament are somewhat synonymous terms. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priest, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and the seventh months during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? For me? When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? He begins to expose their motives. Should you have not obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets? When Jerusalem and the cities around it were inhabited and prosperous and the south and the lowlands were inhabited. Stop there if you would. It's two years after the encouraging vision, and a group of men, Babylonian and Assyrian names, most likely because they were born in Babylon, they go to seek the Lord, they go to pray. That's the word that's used. They go to seek the Lord to pray. Now, this word pray, it's not the word pray that you think the word pray. It's actually the word favor. They went to find favor from God. Um, The Hebrew word actually means to stroke the face of. My daughter, Selah, has me wrapped around her finger. She's my baby girl. And whenever she needs anything to seek my favor, she walks up to me. Now, Now, let me tell you about her. When she was growing up, she was the kid that didn't want to call me daddy because everyone else called their daddy, daddy. So she said, dad, as of today, your new name is D-Daw. I am not calling you daddy like everyone else. Your name is D-Daw. This is the kind of relationship that we've had since she was a young child. So whenever she needs something today, she will come and go, hey, dad. This is what that word means. They're stroking the face of God. It's an intimate relational connection where they are trying to seek a favor from God. But they ask. They ask. Do we have to continue to fast? That's what they ask. You see, the Jews had started a fast, actually two fasts, to add to the already existent two fasts that they had. One over a man by Gamaliel who was martyred during the Babylonian... Uh, he was a governor and he was martyred. The other was a fast to remember and mourn the day that the temple was destroyed. And so they initiated these fasts, and they'd been doing these fasts for 70 years while they were in Babylonian captivity. But now they see that the temple is being built, and they're wondering, as the temple is being built, should we continue in this fast? But remember, they were coming to God to get a favor from God. Keep that in mind. And while their question appears to be spiritual, is should we continue to fast? We're going to find out in chapter 7 and chapter 8 that God's going to expose to us their heart and what they're really asking. 
Those of you who are parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly around December 1st when your children who never do their chores come up and ask you, what can I do to help you today? Really? As if I don't know 24 days from now, it's Christmas. All of a sudden now you want to start helping and do your chores? Well, God's a great parent. He knows that they're not asking about fasting. No, remember he says, when you eat and you drink, don't you do it for yourselves. He knows that they're asking something very selfishly. So God, he's not going to even answer their question until chapter 8 towards the end of the chapter. He's not going to even deal with the question. But what he's going to do is use their question to minister to them. Jesus did the same thing. Do you remember Martha? She's busy about doing and folding napkins and putting up Christmas lights and decorating the Christmas tree and putting out the, what do you call the thing that you, the placemat. And then you, on top of the placemat, you put like a plate that you put the plate on. It's the most ridiculous thing in the world. Like it all, to me, it says more dishes. You know, when, when I see my wife or my daughter is getting all formal and there's a plate, then you put a plate on top of a plate and use this for the salad bowl and use this for the dessert. Just throw it all on the same plate. Who cares if it mixes? Because I know what that's going to mean for me. That's going to mean more dishes. Amen? Amen. I hope my wife's here. So Martha's busy about doing all of the fixings for Jesus has come to dinner. But Mary, she's just sitting there at the foot of Jesus there in Luke's gospel. Martha, she prays. Anytime you go to Jesus, it's prayer. And she says, Jesus, what are you going to do about my sister? Like, can't you see that I'm doing all the work here? You know what Jesus does? Martha, Martha. You're busy about a lot of things, but Mary has chosen the right thing. She's sitting at my feet. You're busy about folding napkins, putting up lights, and all the dishes. So even God agrees that we should use one plate. (laughs) Just throwing that out there. Even and you know Christmas is coming, so like all the Christmas plates are coming out, right? God agrees with one plate. But what God did with Martha was he used Martha's approach to minister to Martha, not to answer her prayer the way that she wanted it to be. You see, they're trying to seek God's favor by reminding him of their religious activity. But what God's going to do, he's going to reveal the spiritual condition of their heart. They go to God, should we continue to fast? Because they want God's favor. They want God's blessing. Do you see what we're doing for you? How religious we are? You see, the real question is, how long will it be till you answer our prayer and revitalize our nation? How long will it be? Are you listening? Why won't you answer our prayer? Can't you see we're still fasting? That's really what's going on. Going to work on the temple every day was hard. It was monotonous. It was laborious. But it's what God asked them to do. And God wants us to be faithful. So he looks at them and he says, did you fast for me? And then I love God. For me? 
He is double emphasizing the point because there is nowhere in Scripture that God mandated this fast. They did it on their own. They did it for themselves. And let me tell you why. The Jews were known as the God people. They worshipped the God, the Most High God. That's what Nebuchadnezzar called him. The Most High God. But now all of a sudden... Their temple is destroyed. They're led captive to Babylon. And all of a sudden, the super-religious God people are slaves. They had to recover their, uh, uh, their testimony. So they said, well, we've got to act all spiritual here in Babylon. I mean, we can't have anyone think that we're not religious. So to save face, they started to fast. Even though God had already revealed that there was no relationship, the Bible says in Ezekiel that he departed from Israel. The glory of the Lord departed from the temple. Even though there was no relationship, they wanted to save face in Babylon as the God people so that everyone could see that they were God-fearing people. And God goes, did you do that for me? No, 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 no. You did that for yourself. Take a look at Zechariah 7, 7. We'll pick it up there one more time. Zechariah 7, 7. Should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets when Jerusalem and the cities around it were inhabited and prosperous and the south and the lowlands were inhabited? He's going back to their forefathers before the 70 years of captivity. And he's saying something to them. There was a spiritual condition which uh, which they needed to take attention to as to the real answer to their real question. Everything they were doing was for themselves so that they can get God's blessing. Um, I've always said they will never take prayer out of schools because every high school student prays this, every Christian high school student prays this prayer before a test. Lord, if you let me pass, I will go to the winter retreat. Lord, if you let me pass, I will volunteer. Lord, if you let me pass, I promise I'll go to church every single day. My parents, I'll wake them up. I will promise I will go to church. They will never take prayer out of schools. Trust me, as long as there are tests. But what kind of prayer is that? If you do this for me, I'll do this for you. That's not the way God operates. He goes, you didn't fast for me. You were fasting for yourselves because all you're seeking is a blessing. So God says to him, he goes, listen, wouldn't it have been better for you to live a life of obedience in the midst of my blessing instead of the misery of mourning for your disobedience? Look at the generation past. I blessed them. Everything was inhabited. The fields were producing and they were disobedient. Should you not obey? And what God is trying to get across the point is, isn't it better for you to have a life of obedience, should you not obey, instead of just seeking blessing? Shouldn't you just desire a relationship with me? Now let me explain this. While fasting, praying, or giving are to be a part of our lives, Christ is to be the center of our lives. Let me describe it like this. You may choose to give to the Salvation Army bell ringer when you're walking into Walmart at Christmas. You may choose to give to the bell ringer, but just because you choose to give to the bell ringer doesn't make you generous. 
You just chose to gave that one time. It would be like a fish jumping out of water and going back to his friends and saying, I know I can live on land. And his friends would be like, you just jumped out of the water for like two seconds. Oh, I know, but I can do it. No, no, no. Just because you can jump out of the water doesn't mean you can live on land, Mr. Fish. In the same way, just because you give it Christmas doesn't make you generous. Just because you fast and pray and give doesn't mean you're a great Christian. Jesus defines what a great Christian is. Because these guys are coming with a sense of entitlement. Hey, listen, we're fasting. We want to find favor from you, so we're going to use our religiosity. But God doesn't want your religious ritual. He wants your relationship. Take a look at the screen. It's John 14, 15. If you love me, if you want to be in relationship with me, keep my commandments. You know what he says in John 15? If you want to be my friend, do what I tell you to do. Now, we don't like that. Because when we were growing up and little Johnny said, if you don't play football, I'm going home. We were like, go home. I'm not playing football. Today we're playing tag. Who wants their friends to tell us, if you don't do what we're telling you to do? No, no, you're missing the point. God is God. And he has your best interest at heart. And so Jesus says, if you want to be in relationship with me, keep my commandments. Do what I'm asking you to do. Obedience is the expression of our relationship. Fasting is a religious ritual without a relationship. Prayer is a religious ritual. Without, I mean, how many people can say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Give us this day our daily bread. Let me tell you something. When I was growing up, I asked my mother, why do we celebrate Halloween? Every Sunday, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I thought we were talking about Halloween. I thought it was the past tense of Halloween. I've told you before. My mother used to always pray with me. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. First of all, what a tragic prayer to teach a child. But what in the world is a now lay me? I have no idea what a now lay me is, but I prayed the prayer for years. Prayer can be a religious ritual and routine. Fasting can be a religious ritual and routine. God says your obedience on a daily basis shows relationship. You see, connection with God is not a ritual. Connection with God is relational. Just ask the church of Ephesus. They were busy about serving God. They were busy about serving at Kid Life, Harvest Fest. They served at Christmas, at Easter. I mean, they were winning over the revivals going on. And Jesus knocks on the church's door and he goes, hey, we got one, I got one thing against you. Get back to your first love. You're so busy about serving, we don't even have relationship anymore. Parents, you understand this. Sometimes we can get so busy about raising our kids, we don't even know our spouse 25 years into marriage because of soccer practice, football practice, school, and everything else that we've got to do to raise our children. You see, you have to understand connection with God is relational, not ritual. Now, they've drawn near to God. They've gone to seek him. 
They went to the priests. They went to the prophets. They've got a sincere question. And because they're drawing near to God, God is going to use this moment of them drawing near to draw near to them and teach them the measure by which they should obey. And the key point that he is going to get across is found right here. Zechariah chapter 7. Let's pick it up in verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. This is like saying, Zechariah is about to stand up and preach his message. Saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, execute true justice, show mercy and compassion. Everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. The Lord is about to deliver a five-point message. That's what's about to happen. And Zechariah is going to be the spokesperson of this five-point message. And the central theme and the first point of this five-point message is love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. This is the heart of the law. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, the heart of the law, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what's amazing to me, it's the same heart God expressed prior to the captivity. This is the one thing that he asked them to do. It's Isaiah chapter 1. Take a look, verse 16 and 17. Wow, I just saw my haircut. I do look different. I can see why some of you guys didn't recognize me. Here we go. Isaiah 1, 16, 17. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Love your neighbor was the one thing that God was asking them to do. Let me tell you why. In comparison, it's easy to fast for a day than it is to love for a lifetime. It's easy. It's easy to fast for a day. It's easy to do the religious routine than it is to love you people. I had to wake you up. It's easy for me to say I'm going to fast today than it is for me because if you get upset with the person sitting next to you, you'll just move to the other side of the sanctuary. I'm looking to see who moved. (laughs) And if you really are upset with that person, you'll just go to another church. It's so easy to fast for a day than it is to love for a lifetime. Daily choosing to be fair. Daily choosing to be obedient and be compassionate. Daily choosing to be merciful. This reveals your relationship with God. Purposing to express God's love to those in need on a daily basis? Meeting the need of the orphan, the widow, and the poor as a lifestyle? This is much more difficult than it is to even fast for a week, or 30 days, or 40 days. And God is saying, the most important thing that I need you to understand is to love your neighbor because God wants all of us, not just an event of us. Take a look, Zechariah chapter 7. He'll go back to use the children of Israel prior to the captivity. He says this, but they refused to heed. Even when they were being blessed, they refused to heed, love your neighbor. 
They shrugged their shoulders and stopped their ears so that they could not hear. In other words, they told God, they told God, you don't know what she did to me. I can't forgive her. Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets, like Isaiah, who I just read. Thus great wrath came from the Lord of hosts, because God disciplines the son he loves, verse 13. Therefore it happened that just as he proclaimed, they would not hear, so they called out, and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, the way they treated me is the way that I treated them. I'm a just God. I want them to understand the justice of God. They cried out to me, and I didn't hear them the same way. I was crying out to them, and they did not hear me. I'm a good parent. I'm teaching them a lesson. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations which they had not known. Thus the land became desolate after them, so that no one passed through or returned, for they made the pleasant land desolate. God uses their history to remind them of his sincerity in this point. Love your neighbor. But their ancestors refused to listen. In fact, they murdered each other. They hated each other. And they were God's people. I can't believe it. I mean, God is using their history to remind them, don't repeat. Don't. I know the work is hard. I know it's laborious. I know it seemed monotonous. But don't start throwing rocks up on Temple Mount. You're missing the point. Told you before, Timon has eight older brother and sisters. And he's a good kid. And he always tells me, Dad, I've watched the mistakes of my older brothers and sisters. I am not going that route. And God is using the history of the older brothers and sisters with this new generation and says, don't go that route. God is very serious about love your neighbor. So serious, Jesus Jesus calls it the greatest commandment. Turn with me to Mark chapter 12. Keep your fingers, Zechariah. We're coming back. Mark chapter 12. Go there with me. Mark chapter 12. The, 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 the question is, what is the first commandment? Or what's the greatest commandment of all? In Mark chapter 12, verse 29, Jesus answers and says to him, the first or the greatest of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So he's standing in a crowd, and he wants to get everyone's attention. And he says the Shema. Everybody listen up. That's what he says. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Now take a look what he says here. And the second, like it. In other words, they're synonymous. They go together. You can't do one without the other, and you can't you say you have one without the other. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. John tells us the same thing. You can't do one without the other. Listen to the teaching of John. It's 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If any, someone says, I love God. I come to church. I'm a good guy. But I hate him. He's a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he's seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Now what we're going to find, that this point is so important, that the first point will also be the last point to reinforce the instruction. But the next three points in between the first and the fifth, God is going to reveal the reason we're to love our neighbor. And if I was to sum it all up, chapter 8, John already has for us. It's 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. John tells us this. We love... I think it's coming up. No, it's not. We love God because he first loved us. He showed us what love is. So look what God says. Go back with me to Zechariah chapter 8. Zechariah chapter 8 and take a look what he says. Again, so again means point number two. Again, the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Zion with great zeal. With great fervor, I am zealous for her. Point number two, remember God is showing why we are to love our neighbor. I passionately love you. I love you. And what an important statement for Israel to hear. Now, I love the way that the New Living Translation puts this. My love for Mount Zion is passionate and strong. I am consumed with passion for Jerusalem. God wanted them to know that he loved them. And all that he has for them is not what they will do for him, but simply because I love you. You don't have to show up and say, hey, we're fasting to get me to respond to you. I love you. You see, they came with a sense of entitlement, of something they felt they deserved a blessing because they were fasting. And God was letting them know, my relationship with you is not based on what you do and what you don't do. In fact, while you were enemies, I died for you. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. His love is unconditional. It is not pending on what you do and what you don't do. God knew all that you wouldn't do, and he knew all that you would do. And he still died for you. Why do you think when John was writing his book, he would say in 1 John chapter 3, Behold, what manner of love is this that we are called children of God? John was so blown away knowing who he was and knowing the the people in the church. He says, can you believe that God calls us his children? Let me tell you why. He is passionately in love with you. And God wanted them to know. He wanted the Jews to know that he loved them even despite where they were at. He knew as a parent why they were stroking his face. And he says, I passionately love you because my love is unconditional. Let me give you an example. Do you remember John the Baptist when he was in jail? John the baptizer. John the bold, courageous, you brood of vipers. Can you imagine how canceled I would be if I started Sunday service with you brood of vipers? Imagine, bold, courageous John the Baptist. In Matthew 11, he's in jail and he sends a message to Jesus. 
Are you the one or not? Excuse who? You, John the Baptist? You saw the dove come down. You heard the dove, like God speak. Like, are you the one or not? John, take that back. You're going to make Jesus upset with you. Hey, disciples of John, go tell John. Go tell John. The lame can walk. The blind can see. When they leave, you know what he says? There's no greater man born among women. He doesn't say, I can't believe John is doubting. I can't believe, he heard it. I mean, God, get him. No, 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 that's not what Jesus does. Jesus loves John. Even though he's doubting, he still says of him, there's no greater man born among women because John got to announce the coming of a Savior. Jesus loves you. He loves you unconditionally. We're not... Is it possible that you're not seeing the blessing you were promised that you thought you should see because the promise is still coming. It's not because God doesn't love you. There's nothing that you have to do to work for it. It's a promise that I've given you. He goes on. It's uh, Zechariah chapter 8. I'll read verse 3, second point. Thus says the Lord, point number 3, here we go. I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall sit again in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hands, because of his great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, If it's marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of his people in these days, will it also be marvelous in my eyes? In other words, if you think it's impossible, do you think it's impossible for me? Says the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. I will bring them back, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. Thus says the Lord of hosts. God had given Zechariah a vision to encourage them that Israel would be rebuilt. It was one of the eight visions. God said, it's going to happen. And they're doubting this. Two years later, we now realize as God is speaking to their hearts because he knows what he's, they're really asking him, they're doubting them, thinking this is going to be impossible. But God's assuring them. He's assuring them that he has returned. Remember I told you, you can look it up later. It's Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 18. God says, The glory of the Lord has departed. It's Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 18. So he's reminding to them that he has returned and that he will return to Zion. And he says to them, multiple generations, old people and young people are going to be living in Israel. And it was happening in their day. Not part of our Bible, but part of Jewish history is a book called the Maccabees. And once again, it's not part of our Bible. It's part of Jewish history, and it's called the Maccabees. If you've had a Catholic Bible, maybe you've seen it in there. It's called the Apocrypha. It's part of the Apocrypha. 
And one of the verses in 1 Maccabees is this. Listen carefully. Good history, just not inspired. Ancient men, so old people, sat in all the streets, consuming together of good things. So old people were getting old and older, and they were watching good things. They were watching young people. Multiple generations were happening. You might think it's impossible, he says to them, but nothing is impossible with me. I said that I would bring my people back, and I will do it. Even though you don't see the complete fulfillment of it right now, just be faithful to what I've called you to do. I need to make a note here for just a minute. We're going to take a commercial break about the promises of God. We got to stop here for just a moment, take a commercial break. It's 2 Corinthians 1:20. Memorize the scripture. This is a commercial break. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20. For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. If you want a Thomas Kincaid plaque picture on your fridge, this is the verse that needs to go to it. All the promises of God are yes and amen. God doesn't lie. When he tells you a promise, it will come to pass. Though it tarries, wait for it. The promise will be true. There's my commercial break. Back to the scripture. The problem with God's promises is timing. That's the problem with God's promises. The problem with God's promises is timing from our perspective. They wanted the blessing now, and God wanted to build faith. You see, when God doesn't do something in our timing, we get discouraged. And that's what's happening with them. So in Zechariah chapter 8, would you take a look? Zechariah chapter 8, I'm going to pick it up there in verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Let your hands be strong. They're discouraged. You have been, you who have been hearing in these days these words by the mouth of the prophets who spoke in the day the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord of hosts that the temple might be built. He's encouraging them and he's telling them, be faithful to what I've called you to do. I told you I would bless you, and I'm going to bless you, and you don't have to come manipulating me saying, hey, we're fasting, when are you going to bless us? I will be true to my promises. So be faithful to what I've asked you to do so that my blessing can flow through your obedience. When we get to heaven, you know what Jesus is going to say? Well done, good and successful servant. It's not what he's going to say. He's not going to say, well done, good and profitable servant. He's not even going to say, well done, good and useful servant. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful You served kid life for 30 years just like I asked you. Well done. You went to Thursday night Bible studies for 35 years, just like I asked you. Well done. And I know it may seem monotonous. And I know it may seem like putting stones on a stone. And I know you're halfway through wondering, when do I get relieved of this? But when you get to heaven, God will say, well done, 
good and faithful servant. That's point number three. I will be faithful to my word. You be faithful to me. I'll be faithful to my word. Now let's pick it up in Zechariah chapter 8. Let's see the fourth point. He says this, Zechariah chapter 8, verse 10. For before these days, there was no wages for many, nor any hire for beasts. There was no peace from the enemy for whoever went out or came in, for I set all men, everyone against his neighbor. In other words, during the 16 years that you were not building the temple, Haggai already told you it wasn't so great. I was doing everything to get your attention. But now, look at verse 11. I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the former days, says the Lord of hosts. For the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give its in- her increase, and the heaven shall give her due. I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these, and it shall come to pass that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. Don't fear. Let your hands be strong, for thus says the Lord of hosts, Just as I determined to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I would not relent. So again in these days, I'm determined to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. These are the things you shall do. Stop there if you would. Point number four, God says this, I will bless you. I will bless you. And I know you're looking back at those 16 years that you weren't building the temple, but you were being disobedient. That's why it wasn't going good for you. You were making choices that I could not bless. But now you've made a choice. And you started to do what I've asked you to do. And you started two years ago. You listened to Haggai. You listened to Zechariah. And you started building the temple. They were obedient. And he says, I will bless you. Now, I need to let you know something. They weren't perfect. They weren't perfect spiritually because they're coming to God. Do you see we're fasting? I mean, look at their approach, okay? They weren't perfect theologically, but they did the one thing that God asked them to do. They built the temple. Gang, that's what we're responsible for. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says this. Philippians 3, 16. Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. What you've learned, put into practice. What you've grown in, choose to be obedient to that. That's what you're responsible for. You see, for one step of obedience, the Lord says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you harvest. I'm going to give you rain. In fact, the Bible says, I'm determined to bless you. Now, let me define what this word determined means. It means I'm devising a plan to bless you. Isn't that crazy? Parents, we did this for our kids. Remember when we were trying to hide the Christmas gift because we wanted them to open it on Christmas Day and we devised a plan as to how we would buy it so they wouldn't know and where we would hide it and then we would wrap it and put it under the tree and then they would come out and open it? That's what parents do. They figure out how to bless their kids and that's our God. He's always devising a plan to bless you. So listen. 
He has a desire that you find your spouse. And he or she is going to be a Christian. Because this blessing flows when you marry someone that's equally yoked. They're believers. So when you marry someone that you're being obedient to him, then your marriage is a blessing. It's not a curse. Don't laugh too loud. And if you feel that you're out of God's blessing, why not give obedience a try? Why not give obedience a try? Why not just open your heart up to be obedient to what God is asking you to do? Take a look how he closes this up. It's Zechariah chapter 8. We'll pick it up there in verse 16. These are the things you shall do. Now take a look. Remember, this is our last point that's very similar to our first point. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. So in other words, live truthfully and do not love a false oath, for these are all things that I hate, says the Lord. To reinforce the major theme, God provides the fifth point, which is the first point. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. I've told you three reasons why. I started love your neighbor, then I told you I love you. I told you I will be faithful to my word. I told you I will bless you. Now I'm ending with the first that I started with, and the fifth point is love your neighbor. You see, the emphasis of the first point is the expression of God's grace. Do be graceful to loving your neighbor. But now in this second point of loving your neighbor, he's emphasizing truth. Because truth is the best way to love. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Speak the truth in love. And there are two things found in this verse. Two things found in this phrase. We must always speak the truth. And when we're speaking the truth, it must always be with love. Now, you know what I'm finding? I read an article today, Hollywood star, why it's difficult for him to be a Christian in Hollywood. I'll tell you why. In the midst of our cancel culture, our cancel culture, we're beginning to shy away from speaking the truth in fear of backlash. But can I tell you something? The church is the pillar and the ground of truth. The word is the truth. And I believe in a seven-day creation. And I believe that God created them male and female. And I believe that life begins at conception. Because I'm going to tell you something about truth. Truth sets us free from the confusion of the culture. Truth sets us free from the confusion of being politically correct. Because you're politically correct today, but tomorrow that statement is politically wrong. Truth is constant, and it's freedom. It's freedom. However, truth must always be spoken with love. Always. It never has an excuse not to. John describes this expression, speaking the truth in love, through the life of Jesus. 
In John chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says he was full of grace and truth. Full of it. Full of grace and truth. He was always graceful. He was always truthful. You see, grace towards those who don't know the truth is the banner of truth that flies in the world. Grace to those who don't know truth. Gang, we're not the moral police. We don't put our sirens up and pull people over and say, take your license out. That's not what we do. We're moral agents of God's grace. We're ambassadors. We represent his grace. And can I remind all of us, it was his goodness and kindness that drew us to repentance. So if we're out there screaming and yelling our truth, we are not very good ambassadors. And if we choose to speak the truth in love, guess what? We'll actually be building relationships and loving our neighbor. Now here's where we close. God finally gets to answer the last question. And the the question, here's what he says in verse 18. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus says the Lord of hosts. The fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth. Look at all these rituals they've got. Shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feast. For the house of Judah, therefore, love truth and peace. Towards the end of his sermon, he finally answers the question. He finally answers the question after his heart has been communicated. As a parent, watching another parent, I have found this technique very powerful in ministering to my children. They'll come to me with a question, and I won't give them the answer. I will give them my heart. Then I will give them the answer. And I find that when I take the time to give my heart, there's more understanding. So they come to God, hey, we're fasting. Do we have to continue to fast? But they've got a real question. The real question is, when are you going to bless us? Can't you see what we're doing for you? And God gives them his heart. And then he says, you don't have to fast anymore. In fact, no more fasting. I want feasting. I love you. I'm faithful to my word. I told you I was going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. God desires our relationship to be one of joy. God desires our relationship to be one of gladness. We're in relationship with the Almighty God. There should be feasting, not fasting. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't fast. What I'm saying is that when we do fast, no one knows we're fasting because we've got so much joy because our relationship with God, we don't even need food and we need to show it to the world. Oh gosh, I'm fasting. No, I'm fasting. I cover my face with oil of the joy of gladness and I go about fasting because I've got relationship with God. See, God closed this message and he says through the prophet Zechariah, You don't need to hurt yourself to get my attention. Just be obedient. That's where you show my relationship. And the one thing that I want you to hear, love your neighbor. Because that's very important to me. Because that expresses that you and I are in relationship. So church, who's your neighbor? It's the person you don't like in this church. Amen. Amen means you agree.
Next week, we're going to take the final three verses, and I'm going to go through the doctrine of the millennial kingdom. Because Zechariah, God takes the time to give us the doctrine of the millennial kingdom in the last three verses. And so we are going to catapult ourselves out of Zechariah into the book of Revelation next week in order to understand the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign where the church gets to rule and reign with Christ. Now, if you're praying for New Zealand, you won't get it because I've already asked. Amen? I just lost it for being so prideful, but anyway, I'll probably get like, never mind, I won't mention a country. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for faithful people that are so desiring to hear your word. But now's where it needs to hit home. Because, Lord, everybody can take a day to fast. But choosing a lifetime of love is difficult because there's difficult people. But our love for our neighbor, you're making it really clear, it expresses our love for you. The two go hand in hand. So Jesus, would you minister to us by your spirit right now? Church, Just take a moment. Who's your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Who's that person? While you were building the temple, you picked up a rock and threw it at him. Maybe they threw it at you. Who's your neighbor? The message tonight, listen, church, they'll know that we're Christians by our love, not by our service, not by our worship. He said, They'll know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. This message is serious with God. Let it be serious in your heart. What family member, what friend, what foe is your neighbor? God's blessings flow in obedience. Take your moment. Seek the Lord. Let him minister to you. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.